When you hear the term Tourette's syndrome, you probably think about the same thing I did for years. Thanks to pop culture references, most of us learned about it as a punchline of sorts, an almost too weird to be true disorder that causes people to yell out obscenities at the most inappropriate times. Of course, for people who can't help having these profanity-laced outbursts called vocal tics, it's anything but a laughing matter. Surprisingly though, these kinds of vocal tics aren't even all that common. They only impact a small portion of the thousands of patients with the disorder. And I would argue, after talking with 37-year-old Deanna Spaziri, they're nowhere near the worst of the symptoms. Deanna's a cheerful woman from Surprise, Arizona, who carries herself with a genuine, relaxed kind of self-confidence. Sit and talk with Deanna, and you'd never know she's been through a battle with her own mind and body that few of us can fully comprehend. The best way I can describe it is there. there's too many messages that gets that get through so for a person with um, a normal basal ganglia they might get um, you know a message to move their arm they get one message to move their arm whereas someone with threats might get a hundred I had the chance to learn more about this disorder because Banner Health has a specialty movement disorders program aimed at supporting patients throughout Arizona while Deanna's treatments took place outside of Banner she was introduced to us so she could share her story and help others better understand Tourette's from the perspective of someone who had one of the most severe cases. This is Banner Health's storytelling podcast, Bedside Stories, highlighting some of the most emotionally compelling experiences that take place behind the scenes in healthcare. Today, we bring you episode 14, Her Greatest Strength. Before we really dive into Deanna's story, let's talk about the syndrome a bit. Tourette's, which some prefer to call Tourette without the possessive, is based in the nervous system and it causes two types of tics, motor and vocal. Motor tics are movements of the body, like blinking or jerking your arm. Vocal could be grunting, yelling out a word or a phrase, even humming or clearing your throat. Studies have estimated that one of every 162 kids have Tourette's, according to the CDC. It can affect people of all racial and ethnic groups. Boys are affected three to five times more often than girls. There's no cure for it, but there are treatment options like medication, behavior therapy, psychotherapy, designed to control tics that interfere with day-to-day functioning. It gets a bit complicated because most people with Tourette's have at least one additional psychiatric condition, like obsessive-compulsive disorder, anxiety, or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Many patients also have two or more of these conditions. You can think of it kind of like a spaghetti strainer, whereas um, with someone with Tourette's, everything's coming through that strainer, everything. Whereas someone with a normal functioning brain might have one or two things get through that, which is normal, normal amount of messages that are carried by the nerves. Deanna says she couldn't tell which was worse, her OCD or her motor tics, since both cause problems that fed off one another. For some people with Tourette's, this is a round-the-clock issue, to the point where they even have tics in their sleep. It's often most severe during childhood and usually lessens over time. Unfortunately, in Deanna's case, her syndrome got worse as she got older. Much, much worse. The whiplash, um, I, gosh, I, I don't even know how many times I've had whiplash, but um, that was one of the things that... Uh, that qualified me for deep brain stimulation was uh, the whiplash was so bad that uh, doctors were fearful that I would paralyze myself or have permanent neck and back injuries. 
Every few weeks, Deanna had Botox injections in her back and neck to temporarily deaden the nerves she'd injured from whiplash caused by her tics. She'd pretty much tried every medication for Tourette, along with years of acupuncture, cognitive therapies, neurologists, psychologists, really, you name it. Medical experts use a special tic severity scale to evaluate a patient's tics. At one point, Deanna rated as one of the worst possible cases at the very top of the scale. She was seven years old when she first noticed her unusual behavior. It started with eye blinking and squinting, holding her eyes shut for long periods of time, then blinking them. As the tics continued, she tried not to get too concerned. I remember sitting in my 10th grade English class and sitting at the little individual desks and having these movements and feeling the need to move and, you know, to throw my leg up and hit the desk. And I remember thinking to myself, this is just a habit. It'll go away. But then like the next week and every single day after that, it wouldn't go away. She also got really good at hiding her tics throughout her childhood, which is common for many people with Tourette's. They learn to repress their tics when they're around other people, especially those they don't know. Deanna remembers her mom taking her to the doctor when she was about 10 to figure out what was going on. Deanna had already gotten so efficient at hiding her tics, she says the doc didn't see a single one. And then as soon as I got home into a safe space when I was by myself, I'd kind of have, quote unquote, a tick fest. Just let all of them out. So when you say you hit it, I mean... I would assume that you reach a point where you can't hide it anymore, right? Correct. It, it becomes like a, it's like a sneeze or like an itch. Like you can feel it, um, you can feel it coming, and you know it's there, and you can kind of hide it. Like you can suppress your sneeze for a little bit, but eventually you're going to sneeze. It's kind of the same feeling. Okay, so keeping that analogy, when you sneeze, you tend to either know there's more sneezes coming, or you sneeze and you're like, okay, I feel better, I got that out of the way. Is it very similar where once you sneeze, you, you know, you don't know if it's going to, if it's going to keep happening? Yes. Like you, once you have the one tick or like the one sneeze, you feel better for maybe a few seconds. It depends on how severe your Tourette's is. Like for mine, I would feel better for probably about 30 seconds before I needed to tick again. And that's pretty severe. It, it, it tends to get less as you get older, but uh, mine always stayed at around 30 seconds, which means you're having tics all the time. Deanna was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome at age 20. Though it obviously caused her tremendous issues, she was determined not to let it bring her life to a halt. She earned a master's degree in education leadership from Northern Arizona University. And while some people might assume she'd have chosen a career that would help her hide from people, she actually taught elementary school for many years, until recently when she changed jobs to do instructional design. Did you have any moments where, you know, your class realized something was wrong or? Um, I, I really don't know. N none of my kids ever said anything. Um, I would say the most things that, that they would ever notice would be if I had um, bruising or, uh, like, you know, bite marks um, on myself from, from the Tourette's, that would be more the things that they would notice. Um, otherwise, I would just try to mask it in a way where it looked like a normal activity. Like even if I felt like I needed to do like a head whiplash kind of thing, I might mask it so it looks like a sneeze, but it's still satisfying that urge and it's not a sneeze, but it would be a way for me to satisfy that urge. 
but I don't think my kids necessarily ever noticed it that, I, that I'm aware of. So you became an elementary teacher, which you said was extremely challenging to not have ticks while you were teaching. So, um, so tell me a little bit about that. Like, what was that like in terms of your ticks as far as teaching goes? Well, uh, as I grew up, and especially when I was teaching, I would develop because uh, you'd still have I'd still have that thirty second you know gap in between when I needed or felt like I had to have a tick. And so I'd start developing these other types of ticks, so that way I could hide it and you wouldn't see it, but I would know I had it and it would relieve that anxiety, that like sneeze feeling, it would satisfy that urge, but no one would see it. So I would be, I would like pinch my leg, I might dig my nail into my side, um, I'd pretend to have like... Um, almost like a stutter, like a little hitch in my step or my, uh, my voice. So that way you wouldn't note it. I notice that I could mask it almost like a sneeze or as like I was, I needed a sip of water, just little things like that, that not everyone will notice unless you really, really knew me or you, you were me. Dr. David Sprecher is a neurology specialist with Banner Sun Health Research Institute's Movement Disorders Program in Sun City, Arizona. He's also co-director of the Tourette Association of America Center of Excellence. Beyond those credentials, he understands the disorder firsthand since he has it himself. Like Deanna and most patients, his tick started as a kid. And what's tricky is these ticks can overlap a little bit with uh, obsessive compulsive symptoms. So sometimes if I heard the word cancer, I'd have to actually spit, or I felt like I'd have a, something bad happen, I'd grow a tumor myself. It was really hard to separate, was that a tick or was it OCD? And I remember other kids would ask, why do you keep looking up at the sky and smiling? Well, it was just a, another complicated tick that I had at, at the time. And working with um, doctors and, and such over the years, um, with Tourette's, it's called a premonitory urge. So that's the part of the Tourette's that's involuntary, that you can't control, the, the part that comes into your brain that says, hey, you need to move. And it just keeps saying, hey, you need to move. Hey, you need to move. And that's the part that is uncontrollable. The ticks themselves, the actual movement, is a way to relieve the stress and the anxiety. It's a way to get it out so that way that little voice in your head stops saying, hey, move, hey, move. It gets really annoying to the point where your anxiety goes up and your stress level goes up. So the easiest way to make that go away is to have a movement. Um, or in some cases, it might be biting. It might be self-injurious behavior. You might, some people might hit themselves. Uh, anything to make that, that urge that keeps coming into your head go away. So tell me about, if you don't mind, the progression. So you start out with these small ticks, and then it gets worse and worse. Um, for me, uh, mine was all oral. So I would bite my lip, I would bite my cheek, um, I'd kind of move my jaw to the side so it'd become um, almost unhinged to an extent. Um, those would be the, the kind of oral self-interest behaviors. Um, I've also given myself whiplash more times than I can count, um, bruised ribs. Uh, stuff of that nature, um, you know, bruising my, my arms, pinching myself so hard. But it, the pinch would be like 
you have to pinch yourself so hard till it feels just right. And then that satisfies the urge. And then in terms of bruising, like your, you said, like you said, your ribs. Mm -hmm. So how does that happen? Um, mine would be from, uh, hitting my side really hard. Uh, also, um, just from repetitive motions, like even the whiplash, um, hit, you know, bringing my head forward so hard or bringing my arm to the side or even just holding and pressing so hard on my, on my, my ribs, uh, to try to mask those ticks to try and repress them. Um, that would eventually cause bruised ribs. So with like with the whiplash, for example, um, so I'm assuming you're just like throwing your head forward or backwards or. Correct. So with, um, with ticks, what's pretty characteristic of it is it's, it's like a lightning fast movement. And with mine, uh, the whiplash would be considered like a lightning fast movement. It was just throwing your head really, really fast forward, just like you would in a sneeze, um, or like in whiplash in a car. Not all Tourette's patients have cases this severe, of course, but Deanna explained she'd actually grab the back of her head and yank her neck in different directions, essentially pulling the muscles and tendons so hard she still has a lot of soreness in her neck and back as a result. You said you chipped several teeth. Was it all on the spoon? Um, the spoon, forks, um, I'd bite it, bite forks, um, and I, I knew my teeth would chip from biting on something like that, but... Uh, yeah, I would I would chip teeth. Um, I had to have uh, several several teeth uh, just repaired uh, or you know filed, straightened, um, have filling added to it to make it you know the normal length. So you're just in in the way that that happens. I assume you're literally just like eating, say, just a bowl of cereal, or you're eating something, whatever mm -hmm. it is, and like the spoon happens. It's not like you're going to the kitchen grabbing a spoon and saying I'm going to bite, or or is it? Uh, it? It could be. Okay. It, it could be. Um, it, most of the time, it's usually like you're eating some kind of a meal, and then, you know, that tick comes in your head, you should bite that spoon, you should bite that fork, and you do. Or you have, sometimes people might have a tick where it's just sudden, and that spoon just happens to hit you right in the mouth. Or um, I've, you know, seen people that uh, have hit, had ticks so bad when they're eating, they might hit their head on the table and come out with a big, you know, lump on their head. And like you were saying earlier, this is all in a matter of, it sounds to me almost like seconds or split seconds that your mind is telling you this and you're reacting to it. Correct. Correct. So it's, it, you know, and, that, and that's something I, I think is important to delineate is to, to explain because the everyday person might think that this is sort of an, um, in a weird way, like your mind is like, if you think of it like devil on your shoulder, angel on the other shoulder, you know, your mind's telling you to do this. And then another part of your mind is saying, that's not going to feel good. Don't do that. But this isn't really quite like that, right? Or if it is, it's it's in a, a matter of split seconds. It, it is like you you have um, the the side on your shoulder that says, you know, don't do that. This is that's not normal behavior. And then you have on the other side saying like, well, you have to do that right now. Like you're not, or you know what? I'm just gonna up the ante, and you're gonna be stressed to the max. Like so, you have that ongoing battle with. Well, no, this isn't normal to do. It's not correct to do. And then you have the other one where it says, all right, well, your body's going to pay the price if you don't do this. And so oftentimes Tourette's is uh, kind of misconstrued as, especially in schools, uh, as a behavior disorder and kids acting up. And 
that could be a comorbid disorder, but it also could be they just can't control it and they don't want to do that. Or, you know, that's maybe a way that they're asked, trying to get help. There's an especially helpful treatment called cognitive behavioral intervention for ticks. It's enabled many people with Tourette's to find ways to manage their ticks a lot better. It's based on three simple observations about ticks. They can get better and worse on their own. Ticks are often done in response to a feeling or an urge, and they can often be stopped, at least for a short period of time. This therapy includes learning to perform less harmful movements instead. Here's Dr. Sprecher sharing a personal example. What I've also noticed is when, when I catch myself doing a tick that's really painful, uh, for example, laying there, lifting weights, with the holding the bar over my head, and then doing a tick where I have to kind of bend my head up and you know, flex my neck, and then walking around with a stiff neck for the rest of the day, I've kind of learned how to catch that early and do something instead of the tick to kind of modify the tick so it doesn't hurt as much. I've also learned to kind of catch myself when something's annoying me and I start shaking my head a lot as a tick. So just kind of notice, ah, I'm letting that stress get to me and bring out the tick. And then just to kind of set that aside. So learn to turn off that emotional activation and, and not let it drive the tick. Is it sort of tricking your brain into thinking that you've done that? Is it, does it sort of scratch that itch enough? Is, it, is, that the, is that the sort of presiding mentality there? What it is, kind of one of the tenets behind this CBIT, the behavioral therapy for ticks, is performing a competing response that isn't just holding back or suppressing the tick, but actively doing something instead of the tick that eventually may modify the tick and kind of change the brain circuit that's involved in that tick so it still eventually satisfies the urge and that the tick actually improves. So it's a little bit different than just suppressing. Before Deanna found successful treatment, her symptoms got especially bad. For example, just before her wedding in 2014, the stress of planning for the big day exacerbated the anxiety and OCD that go hand in hand with her Tourette's. She started biting her top lip, and it quickly became swollen, then deeply gashed open. Deanna was embarrassed, but unable to stop herself. She went to an oral surgeon who ended up removing part of her lip. After about four surgeries in just a two-month time frame, the surgeon was able to smooth out the damage so Deanna could look as normal as possible for her wedding photos. She had stitches right up until the night of her rehearsal dinner. About five years ago, Deanna received deep brain stimulation in North Carolina, it's a major treatment and pretty rare, essentially considered a last resort, but doctors were worried by that point that she might paralyze herself or permanently injure her back and neck due to the aggressiveness of her tics. The treatment involves surgery to implant a device in her brain that helps reduce her tics, as well as a pacemaker-sized device in her chest. That helps to regulate how much stimulation certain parts of her brain are getting. While it's not a total cure for the tics, the result was positive and life-changing. I still have tics. They're still there. Like I said, there's no cure to it. But for quality of life, I'd say my life is completely changed. There's nothing I felt I never could do. It's just things I couldn't do well because I couldn't focus long enough on them to do it or I couldn't do it without being interrupted with um, a tick. And now I feel like I can do those things a lot better and I can focus and put my 110% of my brain effort on what it is I'm doing versus getting interrupted all the time with these ticks or movements. 
Deanna is a big supporter of the work being done in Arizona to help patients. A unique partnership called the Phoenix Tourette Syndrome Center of Excellence is a center without walls that brings together Banner Sun Health Research Institute and Phoenix Children's Hospital to provide top quality care, leadership and groundbreaking research and education and training about the syndrome in the Phoenix community. Dr. Sprecher has seen many lives transformed through treatment. He's often hesitant to talk much about his own experiences while working with patients, preferring instead to keep his focus on their progress. But his success story is itself an example that the syndrome doesn't have to hold anyone back from reaching their full potential. It's really important that you can develop a good self-image regardless of whether you continue to have ticks into your adult years or whether you still have ticks, because it's something that you may always have, but it's not going to define you. And we really need people to be able to have a good self-image despite the Tourette's. As for Deanna, she's doing great now. She's helping other people, especially kids, learn about Tourette's through a support group. She's also on the board of directors for the Arizona chapter of the Tourette Association of America. I talked with Deanna in person for about two hours and didn't really notice any ticks at all. Honestly, if anyone were watching us talk, I likely would have seen more naturally fidgety than she was. I told her I hadn't really been looking closely for any ticks, to be clear, but I wondered if she felt the urge to have any during the time we talked. Yeah, um, I've actually had about 15 to 20 ticks, um, if I had to guess, uh, since I've since we've been talking. Um, for the most part, when I'm talking, you'll notice kind of a, a little, like, it almost sounds like a stutter, like I'll say, like, hi, Corey, like that. Something like that would be a tick for me, but it would be in a way where I could be like, <clears throat> excuse me, like you were, it sounds like I've just misspoken. Um those would be the only ticks that I've I've felt predominantly throughout this. Um, I've had a couple in indications where I felt like I needed to do a movement, um, but I'm able to control those now. And a lot of that just comes with age and um, experience, I guess. Um, being experienced with how to handle your ticks when you're working with somebody else and talking with somebody else. Finally, after so many years of being too embarrassed by her tics to talk about them, she's now able to understand the nuances of her Tourette's and integrate the disorder into everyday life. It's all just part of who she is now, and she's comfortable with that. In her first email to me, Deanna said something I couldn't wait to ask her about. She said, my Tourette's turned out not to be my greatest weakness, but my greatest strength. For the longest time, uh probably until I was about 30 years old, I thought of it as my absolute biggest weakness. It's, it's something wrong with me. But in fact, it's made me stronger and it is my greatest strength because I've been able to overcome it and it's helped me become such a better listener to people, um, especially now uh, working with uh, the Tourette's Association of America, the Arizona chapter, being able to help those kids and actually empathize and understand, have a real life understanding of what they're going through and being able to to help them and to know what it's like now and to know the capability of what I can do now with minimal ticks is it's a miracle. And if I can help even one person or five people, um, that's, that's a win. 
it reminds me of a Bob Marley quote. You, you never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. Exactly. Dennis's having Tourette's has helped her develop resilience, persistence, and perseverance to never let anything get in the way of what you want to achieve. For Banner Health, I'm Corey Schubert, and this is Bedside Stories. If you like this episode, we invite you to click on that subscribe button for this podcast. You can also check out all of our previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Production support for this episode was provided by Eric Joel LaFuente, David Lozano, and Jen Fenter. For more information about Banner Health, visit us online at bannerhealth.com. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.